welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I'm starting a little... If I say I'm starting a series, then this will be the only one. (laughs) So I'm talking today about equipping. And... um, The Holy Spirit woke me up the other day and was talking to me about this. I wanted to read a little something I wrote. Today is Father's Day, and my encounter with the Father many years ago, I've talked about it here before, but it was the life-changing moment for me. Think about it for a second. When Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and then we don't have the greatest definition of a father, then it would be less exciting when that those definitions are part of our lens of seeing our life. And he told me this, he said, the epidemic of non-godly fathers. I'll, I'll call it that. How about that? Non-godly fathers. Is that a good way to say it? Has left the planet with a surplus of orphans. Listen, try to not be so nervous about everybody's actions. They're just orphans. Think about, let's just think about the worst thing you've ever done. Got it in your mind? Everybody got one? Come on, practice with me. Look, Abe's trying to remember, gee, I don't know. I haven't done anything yet. That was just the attempt of an orphan to be wanted to be accepted, to be chosen. Isn't it weird? The things orphans do to feel good never lead to feeling good. Agreed? Has left the planet with a surplus of orphans longing to be loved and wanted. Here's the thing that will help you, especially as a leader, especially doing ministry with people. This is 100% true for everyone. Everyone wants to be, excuse me, it must be that donut, <laughs> loved and wanted. They, it may not sound like it in their words or look like it in their actions, but that's really all that's going on. So when you go to talk to them and they reject you, they've just been triggered in that moment by what you sound like and look like for a past injury that you were not there for. Think about the worst thing you've ever done again. You were just an orphan. It's no fun to think about that. But see, I will tell you, the success in this life is when you can think about that and it doesn't feel bad. Game changer, off sin. You're not, you're not the poster child of sin. 
I mean, I've heard a lot of stories in 35 years of counseling. And can I tell you, I know all of y'all's story in here pretty much. And y'all are by far not the worst story I've ever heard by a long shot. Y'all try to make me think. <laughs> I had a sozo last week with somebody and they were telling me stuff that they that was horrific for them. And I was thinking, when's the horrific stuff going to start in this conversation? Because I've heard so much worse. Who, who would have thought the hardest part about living this powerful life was getting over our own belief is about our own sin? We can give it away to other people freely. And see, so that, that tells you something. That's a place where your equipment's shoddy. Have you ever played a sport? You know, I played softball for... 22 years. And when I was young, I played until I was about 17 or 18. And I was the worst batter on the team without fail always. But I was the best pitcher, so they kept me around. Everybody, I was just like the last. If you know anything about a softball lineup, the worst batter is number nine or 10 down there. Number four is what they call the cleanup batter. They got a number one, number two, number three that is going to get on base, and number four is going to come in. Well, I didn't know it forever. So when I'm 18 or so, I go and play on this new team, and they had this bat, this bat that was a two, two or $300 bat. I know it sounds crazy. But it weighed practically nothing. In one moment, I became the number four batter. It was an equipment problem. From then on, the rest of the years I played, I was the best hitter on the team. I could hit it anywhere on the field, anytime I wanted to. I could hit a home run just standing at plate. I could hit it over here, wherever the coach wanted me to hit it. Why? It was an equipment problem. Now, I had lots of coaches tell me a lot of stuff, but... My little wee arms couldn't hold up those heavy bats. I needed something that didn't weigh anything so I could send it. It wasn't technique. It was an equipment problem. Longing to be loved and wanted. Ultra sensitive. These orphans. Easily offended. Oh. Why'd you look at me that way? Concentrating. That's why I've been working on my resting face. You need to work on your suit. I've seen yours. I look at all of yours. Every. Yeah. And about, oh, I don't know, 40 in. Here goes Jack and Pam. They're giving me the. Now, if Jay was here, he's doing it at three minutes in. He's like, he's gone. Start working on your rest. I need this. Yeah, that's it, Booney. That's it. That's what I need. Right? Like like you're interested in what I have to say. I know I might be whacking you and you're going bam, 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 but just be. That's it. See how much happier you feel just doing that? 
They're ultra sensitive, easily offended. Have you have you seen them? Yeah. Are you them? Yeah. <laughs> They're entitled. Think about orphan entitlement. They don't even know what's possible. First off. So, you know, one of the things I'm laughing at, I'm wanting to send the girls on a little trip just overnight for Tessa's birthday. And I wanted to get them an RV. I'm still trying to get them. We're trying to get them an RV, right? We're having faith. But what's funny is they don't even know what they're going to do with one. They've never been in one. They don't know how to hook it up. They don't even know the place they're going. They don't even know what's available there. Right? They don't know how much money it's costing. They don't know what it's taken to find it all out. They don't know. All they're doing is their, their expectation is over the top. Why? Because they, they're not orphans. And I can tell you, if all I ended up finding was a tent, they would be thrilled. They, they, they don't care. See, see, a kingdom-minded person does not care. Because they know it's good. It's good for what they need. It's good for the moment they're in. It's good because, the, because they trust. See, an orphan has never had anything. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what anything costs. They don't know anything. So their excitement is based on what they conjure up in some fantasy. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's horrible. So that's who, that's right. That's where you once were. How many can admit you were there? Oh, yeah. Entitled, untrained. Right? Victims of their own decisions and making. See, see, it's great being me for so many reasons, but this one I'm thinking of right now is that I see God working on behalf of so many people at one time trying to bring them goodness. And I see so many times as orphans, we drop the ball, we don't follow through. We don't even, I mean, really all we have to do is just get in the place he said, and it's coming, and we move out of that place because we're offended. We're ultra-sensitive. We're entitled. We're untrained. We, as sheep, would walk off the cliff. And see, you all are at different levels of maturing this orphan heart. From God's perspective, you've never been an orphan. See, part of what we do, especially in America, is we have an expectation of our family that was unrealistic. If you don't know God, you can't produce righteous fruit. If you have parents that did not know God, did not serve Him in a prophetic way, they didn't know who you were. They, you were ill-equipped. You didn't have no equipment. You had no bat. You dragging around that heavy thing you couldn't even lift up. And someone said to you, you're no good. 
You're not good at that. Right? And see, at the end of the day, life's going to be separated like this. Who doesn't care about all that orphan crap? And who says, wherever I can find a family of God, wherever I can find a prophetic house, wherever I can find someone to equip me and train me and challenge me, you'll get the prize. You'll get the reward. Because at the end of that life, you have to please the Father. You have to. Everything in you. So I'm saying you take your gifts and you quit trying to make them fix some orphan heart of yours. You take your gifts and say, "This is I'm not my own. See, the weird thing about orphan thinking is it can only be solved by knowing how he feels. I'm chosen. Chosen? You're chosen. You didn't even get in the right line. You wouldn't have even known where the line was. You didn't go to Apple one day looking for some people who would disrupt your life and tell you, yeah, you can go to the store even when you're sick. You know, orphans don't even know they can do hard stuff. Let me use the worship team for an example. They're a great display for you. So on the worship team, we have a leader, right? And her name is Shudi. Now, when Shudi came here, unfortunately for me, she didn't have that shirt on that said, I'm the future worship leader at One Life. I remember the first conversation we had after she had her crazy Easter laughing experience and rode all over the ground for an hour. Probably, I don't know, it was very shortly thereafter she said, God told me to cut my hair. And I'm thinking, I don't know anything about your hair. I don't know you. I don't know nothing. But she had a relationship with her hair. I knew that. Why? She just told me. I didn't know what it meant. See, that's that's how God, see, this is how God, let me help you, how God works. When you come into your destiny, people, you just got to get rid of weights as fast as you can. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, man, I got to get down that. I, that is no good. Just get that. You just got to keep. Just what? What's happening? You're trying to get free. Because yeah. all the stuff you made. Listen, some of y'all are still hanging on to so many things that you made back in orphan days. It is so weighty. And it keeps presenting itself in front of the thing that God, your destiny people are waiting for you to take Hold of your destiny, and you're like, well, but is this going to? How's this going to play a role? Show me where this. Where do you put? Where do you? Where do you put this in that? And it should be this. Listen, what we construct out of orphanism will never be it. I'm sorry, never be it. I'm sorry, never be it. Why? Because if your orphan heart could have been satisfied with it, and it was, it can't be him. What satisfies an orphan? It's part of the trash heap of the royalty. (laughs) 
It only points that we don't know him as father. It only points to that I know about him. And I see some people that seem to know him. But he hasn't transformed my heart to realize I can do nothing without him. That all is, I'm not ashamed to say all of the good in me is him. I'm not being humble to say all the good in me is him. My humility comes from the position of my heart when I get opportunity. God never gave us permission. I'm still reading what I wrote. God never gave us permission or asked us to reproduce children for our own benefit. We were to fill the planet with disciples of Jesus. See, this is the deciding factor. Let me tell you. Did and were you raised by your parents to be a prophetic disciple of Jesus? If you had children, did you raise your children to be a prophetic disciple of Jesus? That's the only measurement. So if you weren't raised that way, you'll have to get some new equipment. Otherwise, you'll keep... Because see, what's weird about orphans, they have a measure of success. They find a home. They find an orphanage where all of... Everyone there thinks alike. So there's no need to change. Because in your mind, you're the best orphan there. And so then when you tell your story, you tell your story, your best orphan story. I was this at this church. I was this at work. I had this house, this car. It's your best orphan story. You don't tell your worst one. I'm a low life, independent thinker, don't trust God or nobody, need you to prove everything for me. I don't even know if I'm going to attend every week or not. You just tell me if I need to. If you got something there like some cupcakes, I'll come. Come on, keep coaching me. I'm not going to read the word at home, though. I'm not going to soak at home. No, keep coaching me, though. And if I believe you enough this week, I might go home Sunday afternoon and re-listen to the message, but probably not. I got my YouTube to watch. Netflix, call my name. I need a nap. Orphan thinking equals orphan results. I can't live with you. I can't, I can't be at your house checking on your daily exercise. I've told you this from the day I started One Life, this hour or two or four, however long you're here on Sunday and Wednesday, it's not enough. That's old churchdom. That is not kingdom living. It's one life all the time. Right? So if you came to the planet, or if you had children, and you had them for yourself, or if you were raised in a house where they didn't raise you in a prophetic knowledge of the kingdom, you have poor equipment for this life. 
this life has to be aware of the supernatural. That's what keeps it from being crappy. It has to have the power of Jesus and it has to have the power of the Holy Spirit in operation. Can you get to heaven and not do any of this stuff? Absolutely. Slide on into another baseball analogy. Home home base. Get yourself right in underneath the pearly gates with Peter going safe. (laughs) But the reward... The position in eternity. That's why you have to live with eternity in mind. This is a blip. You existed before your time on earth and you'll exist after your time on earth. Get a picture of that's, that's, this, that's this existence. It may scare you somewhere along. I may have just triggered you, but it shouldn't. He made you for that. When you're in heaven before, he was showing you, okay, Baby, it's about your time. Cheryl, it's about your time, baby. It's about your time. It's about your time. Get ready. Get over in your pot. I got some last-minute instructions for you. I'm about to send you down to the planet, Cheryl. This is going to be your time. Now, I know you're going to be all kind of weird at first, but then you're going to get into your position. You're going to get into your position, and you're going to go, and this is what you're going to do, and you're going to judge and transform things because you are going to be my prophet. So here's my last instruction. There you go. And you got here somehow. It doesn't really matter how. You're here. It matters not. It matters not. Listen, your origin is not your little people who popped you out. Your origin is heavenly. Get that picture. At the end of the day, that's not going to matter. God never gave us permission or asked us to reproduce for our own benefit. We were to fill the planet with disciples of Jesus. We must make little Jesuses. Not further the orphan mentality and orphan rights. Listen, I make no bones about it. This culture is made up of you. You don't do what's on my heart all the time. If it was made up of just what was on my heart, we would be doing a whole lot of different things right now. I started to tell you about the worship team. So, see, here's the worship team. So here's the way God does things. So he puts in somebody's heart. What year was that? What were you doing in 2012? Yep. So here we are. In 2012, bro just graduated high school, but here's Shooty having an experience, rolling around for an hour, practically the same month, April, May area, graduating from high school, rolling around, having an experience, right? What did you do for the next five years? Yep. So then what did Shudy do? She died daily. Die, 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 die. I think we said let June be June for I don't know how many years we did that thing. Dying, dying, dying. But see, what you have to understand is what he did before then knew. His spirit knew when he saw her. 
He had to be a part. Now, see, he could lead. But see, that's part of being on a team. He literally takes his amazing talent. He is a YouTuber. And he submits it underneath the God-established authority that protects him and trains him and keeps it. And what does he do then? He's the champion of her. Moo came, and she wanted to play drums back then. But I didn't let her really play drums back then. She didn't want to play drums this time. And so I let her play drums this time. <laughs> Listen, you're not your own. It really is about the position of your heart. Orphans don't want to have a different heart because they're entitled. They have to sell you on their past orphan exploits so you'll know they're amazing. Listen, we're doing this whole time to build thing. Can I just, can I just shoot it to you straight? Haley's my champion of the world right now, isn't she? But can I tell you what some other people have said? I know this is going to be shocking because this is your words. People have said, that's not what I expected it to be. I'll have to think about it. Oh, the Holy Spirit just grieved. I get that knife out of his heart. Well, I'm not for sure if that's really what I was thinking I was going to do. I'll get back with you. Oh, the Holy Spirit. See, he didn't say, I'm going to make a bunch of teams and all of y'all are going to know everything that's going on with everything and everybody's going to be in the know and you don't have to think or do nothing. It's just going to all be laid out for you in a pretty little thing. You just come and dine. Now, I mean, I expect all the leadership to be champions, but Haley's the only, she's my standout. She didn't know nothing. In fact, I had two meetings with her this week, and she didn't even say one word in both those meetings. But she heard me, and she went and she produced something out of the words she heard me speak. Go ahead, I know you're all triggered up, but listen, I'm just telling you the reality of your own heart. Everyone can be her. She ain't even special. We're all the same. You're all a bunch of talent hogs and you don't even know it. Don't get all treated. That's just your orphan. Listen, I just read Margo this morning. Let me read it to you because clearly I can tell y'all are triggered up. Bye bye. <laughs> Today, Margot said this. Let me see if I can find her real quick. Thank goodness for the internet. This is her post today, triggered. An invitation to challenge the fear. See, that's why you respond that way. Your little orphans, your little bitty, tiny baby, itty witty, weeny, but that orphan self said, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> the other one I've heard tons this week, 
I don't understand what you're saying. There's no way you don't. There's no way. There is no possible way you don't understand what I'm saying. That's that spirit of stupid just going in your head. Because you have the mind of Christ. All you have to do is go ask him. Haley didn't ask me what she did. She overachieved. We got to pare it down a little bit. It was, it was an overconsumption. She just went to the Holy Spirit, and he was like, here, 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 here. I said, wow, she's got ideas for 10 years. This is awesome. Can I put her on every team? Say, make that be you. Make me say about you, I wish they were on every team instead of, yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking, I don't know. I have to think about it. I have to get back with you on that. Were you signed up? Just because it doesn't sound like what someone thought you sound like doesn't have anything to do with nothing. Triggered. An invitation to challenge the fear. See, this is taking up so much of my time of preaching just to have to deal with our triggers. Based, the fear-based story you're telling yourself instead of addressing the need. She said, freedom comes when we realize we don't have to live in old painful stories and patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that they create. The only reason why you don't understand, you are confused, you don't know if you want to participate when you signed up, is for this right here. You're just triggered from my old story. Am I right? Aubrey says I'm right, so that's all that matters. When uncomfortable emotions get triggered, it's a sign I can even see it on you right now. So you can't even hide it. You didn't even practice your resting face long enough for me to even see it. It's so weird. You couldn't even keep the resting face for 20 minutes because you're triggered. How many hate to be triggered? It's an invitation. It's already in there. At least someone that loves you and can help you is triggering you. Somebody at work triggers you, you want to punch them. It's the same trigger. When uncomfortable emotions get triggered, it's a sign that an old story is being activated. Gosh, if we could just see these things for the way God, it would just, we would have so much fun together. I would trigger you. You'd be like, trigger? Ha! What is it? What is it? I want to get it out. It's an invitation. Hurry, someone tell me what it is. Hurry. Anyone, anyone, anyone. I just rally the people around me. I'm just like, hey, I had to call Lynn in this morning. The green one guy's like, man, I think I'm, I think I'm having a trigger right here. She had to help me out. I want to punch something. That's a choleric way. Phlegmatics, nap, right? Sanguines, talk, right? Melons. They analyze. They can't admit they're having a trigger. No, I'm just kidding. They think it's someone else. I promise. This what I didn't want to say it, but they think it's you. It's a, even currently, right now. It's an invitation to challenge the story you're telling yourself and or address the need you're having. Aren't we weird about our needs? You know what we did? 
We have God-given needs that he wants to meet and God-given needs that he wants us to actually partner with friendship, camaraderie, koinia, to meet. But we don't want to tell anyone. And if we do tell them, we act like it's not authentic. So what we do is we do a bunch of weird actions and gyratings and hoping, throw down a few hints, orphan hints, and the person's going, are you okay? Like, well, I mean, it's like we built some code. Like when I want ice cream, everything in my body twitches, right? When I need a hug, I actually slap the wall or something. I mean, it's all this weird way that we, right? When you could just say it. I don't know if you know this. This is going to shock you, I'm sure. Everybody needs a hug every now and then. It ain't a weird thing. It's not even perverted. We're so scared of perversion. We are, especially in the church. Oh, PDA. (laughs) That we don't, we're not even friends. You know, when we stopped the mentoring program, it was an opportunity to be friends with 27 people. But some of y'all hadn't called nobody. Some of y'all haven't reached out for advice from no one. Somehow you read that, that trigger was like, oh, she said, don't talk to anyone ever again. That's just your trigger. No one even said anything like that. I wouldn't do any of life without asking advice. I don't. Just because you don't have you one man. You got 27 other people. This is a commercial for... I am starting in July. We're going to be starting counseling available to the whole house. So, you know, there's some more opportunity for you to get help. You're welcome. Getting triggered is never fun, but if we learn to leverage those triggers, then we can address the uncomfortable and get unstuck. Listen, that's the goal of the enemy, right? You never come to church thinking you're going to get triggered. Agreed. Did you wake up this morning and you said, man, I cannot wait to go to church. And Teresa is going to trigger my butt all up and down every way you can imagine. Did you think that at home today? Anybody think that? Still reading what I wrote. So when the Holy Spirit says who will go, and we say, here I, here I am, send me. We must understand it's not a ministry of convenience. You know, whenever I was talking to some people last night, I was, I was saying, you know, that, that orphanness, I didn't say it just like this, but orphanness has the inability to do hard things because they spend their time using their spiritual gifts on themselves. See, this is really true for people who really God has gifted them with a lot of talent. They have a hard time focusing and actually bringing into fruition their talents because 
this one action makes them think of another one. That's why I told Aubrey, I said, listen, you've got to set so many things aside to collab with me. Because it's like collabing with a water bug. I mean, like, she's all over the place. Like, <laughs> But see, I know what it takes to push something, push on something long enough to make it have endurance. You know, what, what happens with an orphan in the place they're meant to have endurance, there's, there is a, a touch. <laughs> something presses, you're pressing. And an orphan's like, oh, something touched me. And we step back. And they press in a little bit harder. Same place. Oh, something touched me. And so you just spend your whole life rocking between this point right here. You never have any movement. Especially, I'm sorry, especially sanguines. Sanguines have a billion ideas and they don't finish anything. And so that, see, that's part of why I want to build teams. Because then within the team, there's this pressure for endurance. And you have to have it in this life. See, you can change jobs every week. But ask Cheryl. Cheryl got this amazing promotion the other day on her fifth year at a job. Now, see, when I it's not when I was her age, she she didn't have a job that long, in other words, any other job. Because what would happen? She would stay there for a little while. Snap. She's out of there. That's not fulfilling anymore. The fulfillment doesn't come after one year. Two years. Three years. Now, don't trigger, get triggered, but you know, you probably, some of you aren't in the job that is going to be the lifelong job yet, but I'm just saying, we don't understand that, that every job starts out new. And especially if you work somewhere like in a corporate place, you are not, they don't care about you. They don't care how you feel. They don't care that you're comfortable. You don't even get what a job is. If that's what, if you're going in there thinking that you get to complain, you don't even get it. So when the Holy Spirit says, who can I send? Has he ever said that to you? Anybody raise your hand. If he said that to you, did you say, what'd you say? Okay. Has the inconvenience started yet? It just gets more. Because what is being inconvenienced? Your own way. Listen, I try my best to live out of Teresa's way 100% of the time. But listen, it's not easy. Lynn, that's why I had to call Lynn in the green room, because Teresa had a way. I know to call the Ghostbuster. I know. It's not like the way doesn't come up. I just don't go with it. I have some tension there every now and then. It's not even that many places now it has that much tension. But listen, God sets up opportunities for him to press on that tension of you not wanting to be inconvenienced. It's happening right now in a lot of different ways in a lot of people's lives. Just like I was talking about the worship team. That's not, I mean, Judy, she would just soon let bro play way back. But I just kept saying, no, that's not the way. This is not the way. Now they came over the show. This is not the way. This is the way. 
I knew the way. Why? Because God's anointing is weighty. I know it. There's a weightiness when you're nothing. There's an anointing that has a weight. And if you don't have purity in your heart and you have any self-promotion, the weight of his anointing, what he can trust you with, will crush you. That's why everybody wants to run and be in charge of something, be the boss, be on stage, be someplace. But you don't understand the weight. And the process of God strengthening your shoulders to carry the anointing happens in the secret place. It happens before you get up on stage. That's why it's dangerous if you get to get on stage before you've done that because then you'll have to do it after you've been on stage. And then you'll think you're missing out the whole time. They're holding me back. Hold me back. I know what they do over there. They hold you back. No, the point of it is, why would we let someone, this is the problem with churches, let me just help you. Why would we let someone be on stage that wasn't anointed? Because that's not the goal. The goal isn't for the Holy Spirit to have His way in the service. The goal is to be the best. And see, anointing is the best. But it's weighty. Everything's not anointed. And the weird thing is you have to have discernment to even know what's anointed. Oh, gosh. My last line is a I'm dead to myself form of love and outreach. That's just what I read, wrote today. Now I'm going to talk about what I came to talk about today. So it's okay. You are good. So when I was talking to the Holy Spirit about this word equipped, there's two scriptures that came to mind. I want to start with those. One is in Luke 6. You want to turn there? Great. Let's do. Let's turn to Luke 6. You can read the entire chapter of Luke 6 because it's really good, okay? Will you do that? Yeah. But I'm going to run you all the way down to 39. Let's read 37. Jesus said in the Passion Translation, forsake the habit of criticizing and judging others. Don't preach on every line, Teresa. Don't preach on every line. Don't preach on every line. And then you will not be criticized and judged in return. Don't look at others and pronounce them guilty, and you will not experience guilty accusations yourself. Forgive over and over, and you will be forgiven over and over. Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity becomes your measurement of your return. And I'll just, let me help you. That's the first level of spiritual maturity is finances. Because what you're called to do, you cannot make enough money to do it. You can't work hard enough. No corporation is going to pay you enough money. That's why that there's a measurement thing that starts happening really young. I remember when I was a little girl, I would mow the lawn and for $3. And it was a huge lawn, like a half acre. And I would tithe 30 cents. It's just never stopped, except for now the percentage is blown out of the water. <laughs> Lynn will be like, you owe 
this much tithes because I don't do math, you know, 10%. And then it just doesn't even matter. Like that is an irrelevant number now because I just wait and hear what he says. And I don't know. It's shocking. It's always more than 10%. Aren't we weird about numbers? Is it on is it on gross or net? Really? We're we're doing that now. We're still in 2022. We're still doing that. You do know? Okay. See, we can't. No, 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 no. Thirty nine. This is not my point today. Jesus also quote. Stop laughing. Jesus also quoted these proverbs. What happens when a blind man pretends to guide another blind man? Okay, what is spiritual blindness? Well, what's physical blindness? Let's just go with that. That spiritual one blew you out of the water, so let's go with physical one. What is physical? Right, you can't see. What's spiritual blindness? You can't see. Did you know anyone in your past that couldn't see you? Anyone have that experience? (gasps) Well, they led you into a ditch. Do you agree? It's probably a ditch of fear. Been trying to get out of that thing for a long time. Every random thought that comes by is a fear thought, right? Listen, it's what I was talking to them today, that the Holy Spirit place within you gives and when you if you go back before like around five or six that's where it was it became activated and y'all all had experiences right around that time some a few people i've heard of maybe four but it's usually five and six some people are a little late bloomers and they're around 10 that's okay it's all happened in that time frame why that we're we're walking into the age of accountability in other words we're walking into the age to know when we've done something wrong. I like little Army. His little heart is so sensitive and pure that even in when they're taking lessons, if, if he knows he doesn't even have a pure heart, he doesn't even really want to pray. He wants to work that out. See, he just came with that. No one had to be like, now, bud, listen, you know, if you have ought in your heart... If you have a bad thought about your brother in your heart and you get here and someone asks you to pray, don't pray. He, no one taught him that. He knows in his heart he don't feel good inside about his bro. And his bro's probably done some stupid stuff and made him really mad. But he knows I'm stepping into something that has to have a pure heart. I'm stepping into learning about worship. I can't just do willy-nilly with my heart. Well, see, Shudi has imparted that to him. And so it carries a weight that's weight. Now, as you get older, that just increases. So, see, it's only weighty if you go against it. You know, we had a little thing on Wednesday night. Wednesday night was the weirdest night up here, I just wanted to say. Dead birds and all kind of stuff. But anyway, listen, Wednesday night, see, Shudi has such a pure heart. She's the same way. After service Wednesday night, she says, hey, I think I need to, what's the word you use? Huh? I need to amend something with you. And I was like, wow, completely clueless, you know. Why? Because something happened 
that for her, it's that sensitive. That heart is that sensitive. Oh, I can't, I don't want to go against Teresa. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, in front of people, dishonor Teresa. It's so much within her. I don't even, I never even, we never had a conversation. Okay, now come here. You need to honor me now. In front of people, dishonor me. Honor, 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 honor. Everything, honor, honor, honor. No matter what I do, just honor, honor. It wasn't a conversation with me. And see, when, when the Holy Spirit can manage your heart like that, see, it's only weighty, it's only a battle when we go against it. If you're a feeler, if you have the feeler gift and you go against that gift and you use it on yourself, you're going to be in fear. It's just going to be an explosion of thoughts connected to fear. Bam, 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 bam. It's just like shotgun goes off. Why? Because you haven't trained it. You got the wrong equipment. And so this is, this is what blind people did to blind people, right? Come on. Who was, who was raised in a blind house? I mean, come on. Who went to the blind church? Okay. So listen, now we know something different, right? You're not blind anymore. You still want to do some blind things, right? Every now and then you want to close your eyes, stick your head in the sand like nothing's going on, and you know, take time out from God and everybody like you're just going to be good that way. Right? Orphan. Orphan thinks they're better alone. Here's, here's my verse. 40. And how could the apprentice know more than his master? For only after he is fully qualified, he will be at that level. This is the word I want to talk about. And again, this is my little series I've started clearly because I'm almost out of time and I haven't even gotten anywhere. <laughs> Y'all made me tell all those fun stories instead. This is a Greek word that's K-A-T-A-R, katartimos. I'm going with that. Middle can say Greek words. And this is, that this word is several places in the Bible, but it's such a powerful word. And the, one of the reasons why I love this word is because in Ephesians 4, let's read that real quick. It says, um, Ephesians 4, it starts at verse 1. He says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. Appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling. Everybody believe they're called. Does anyone not believe they're called? You're just here, I guess, what, um, like to take up some space. Like everyone's called, right, to different things, right? But you're needed, say they need me. You're needed to fill a role that if you, if you think, call this body home, that's within this body. You maybe thought you were going to do some other role at some other body. Right? I, can, I don't know. I don't know them. I don't care. But in this body, we have a DNA. Judy teaches a class on the DNA of one life. Everybody's going, you do? And, and listen, we're not going to change that no matter who comes in because we're not altering it based on people. So it's, it's okay if people come and they don't like it. We're just not their people. Right? 
That's not a bad thing. It's not a measurement of success of one life. Listen, if God never measures success by numbers, in fact, he's against it. He measures success by fruit. You're not going to change that. But if you want to have more people, you have to have more fruit, more love. See, I'm inconvenienced to help you. My whole life is spent trying to help the people at One Life. I don't do anything else. And so this invitation to build is to look like me. That you don't do anything else. You don't have some other random job, some other random, everything at your job, everything you do outside your job is about building up this leadership core to what? To transform the world. That's why God spends so much time on equipping. It's easy to have a title. It's hard to have the heart that can carry it long distance. Listen, I've been carrying something for a long time. Just just the worship we do, I carried for 30 years. Before I saw, is that it? Oh, I think we're, I think that's it. I think I think we finally what happened? A lot of people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm still here. I had somebody come up that comes every now and then. They're like, hey, I've been missing you. I said, well, I've been right here. It's where I'm at. It's what I'm doing. It's my life. It's what I'm doing. It's my one life. Right? Right? And so our lives have to be about the Father's business. That's really the only thing that's going to matter. See, what happens was at orphans, they build their life around fun. And they like to use people for fun. But God's the funnest. I'm the happiest, the funnest person I know. So it doesn't have any, it has to do with me dying to the life I tried to make. And I had one of those too. I mean, at one time in my life, I was going to be a professional basketball coach. I, want, I mean, I have all kinds of stuff I was going to be when I was younger, right? But it wasn't until I figured out, oh, this is what I am. I'm a rebuilder and a restorer to, but unto what? And that's what this verse talks about. Let's keep reading. Let's just run down to my verse because I don't have time. Uh, 4.12, it says, so the point of it is that their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. So he's talking here about the the um, gifts, the offices. I'm not going to talk about that today. But the point of the offices is to completely equip and mature the people that do the works. So let's act like all of y'all are the works people, just for this exercise. We don't need to talk about the offices today. That just gets you messed up because then you're all trying to figure out who you are and where you a position you are and if you're going to get a title and when you're going to be that and how is that going to operate. You're just doing the works. 
That's just that's where we are maturity wise. It's clear we're trying to build some teams, and it's clear some of y'all still don't want to do that. So that's just where we are, right? Right. So it says God's people would be thoroughly equipped to minister and build up the body of the anointed one. It says these ministries will function until we attain oneness. Who's we? All of y'all and me. How one are we? We have any room for improvement there? Does anybody feel like they're completely one with me? Anybody? Y'all are not going to raise your hands? Okay, great. Pam, quick, Pam, get your hand in the air. There's just, maybe no one thinks that. In other words, are we all on the same mission? Are we all in agreement? That's what oneness is. It's unified agreement. So we're all at different levels in that, clearly. Right? And so they're still functioning is my point. Right? This equipping ministries are still functioning. They're not obsolete yet. I'm just proving that to you. Agreed. Now that word, I love this word. Let's go down. Let me see what, what I have on my PowerPoint. Yes, it has so many meanings. Let's look at a few, and then I'll be done, Mendel. Um, it says, to furnish for service or action by appropriate provisioning. To equip like an army. That's what's happening to you in the room right now. That's why I'm triggering you. I don't, I don't sit at home and go, Holy Spirit. What are all the triggers I could say today? Right? He prepared the trigger for you. In advance before you arose this morning. I was up at 5. Anybody else up at 5? Awesome. At 5 o'clock, that's what we were doing. I'm preparing, right? It says to dress or to make ready. This is still this word. Let's keep going. To complete. Are you there? To complete. Yes. Yes. To complete by furnishing and equipping. I know it just sounds the same, doesn't it? The definition is a preparing and equipping. The usage is bringing to a condition of fitness and perfection. To render fit, sound, complete. To mend what has been broken or rent. Right? To repair. Again, to complete. To fit out or equip, put in order, arrange, adjust, to fit or frame for oneself, prepare, to strengthen, perfect, complete, make what one ought to be. To fit together perfectly an exact fit by adjusting or mending for its full destination or use, to bring together over and over again, even after faltering. That's that one word. When Jesus said it, did I read that verse good to you? Let's look at it one more. How can the apprentice know more than his master? It's only after fully qualified. That's this word. So that tells us in that scripture, the blind, the blind, right? Or we're going to be fully equipped by apprentice master, right? The next scripture is fruit. 
That order is really important to God. The order of things. And so I'm going to talk some more about this on Wednesday, but if that is fully going on right now and we're being fully equipped, we're, there, there are some ways that he, ta- he talked to me about, about how this equipment is meant to operate with people. And so what, what I really want y'all to be thinking about this week, just for the next few days, is that if I, am, if I have an assignment and I have a calling and I want to walk in anointing, in anointing, I have to use my spiritual gifts the way he designed them. Part of our frustration in battling in life, it's like I talked to those people today, is that we're using a gift of the Spirit that He wants to partner with us, right? Co-labor, right? And He wants us to point it in the direction He's breathing on, but instead, for whatever reason. I mean, you, you, that's what I want you to think about this week. If you are someone who gets these feelings and they're negative, see how many of those that you can actually ask the Holy Spirit about. When I can get Mendel to partner with me, and see, sometimes because that she was 40 before she even heard this message about your spiritual gifts, she had developed so many coping mechanisms, I never can think of that word, coping mechanisms to deal with her spiritual gift that led her into exercising a um, strategy of trying to make it make sense some sort of humanistic logic and so now that will be the first thing that happens and if we're not if she's not careful that'll be a really slippery slope her humanistic logic will take her right down to a bunch of thoughts and projections and ideas and and then she'll start wanting to solve those you know i love it pam told me about this great analogy i think it works here too she was saying that I think it was Jason Valdson had this canister of blue and red balls. And, and at the bottom of it was all the red balls, just one little layer, and, and the top of it was blue balls. And he was saying, basically, I'm using it for my term today, but that bottom to me is where our spiritual gifts lie. They're attached to root things within us that God built within us. I think he was talking about injuries, but it's the same principle. Our injury is connected to our calling. Anyway, so he was saying we spent all our time dealing, dissecting all these blue balls, looking through them, trying to figure out which one is right, which one I'm going to talk about, which one I'm going to think about today, when the whole time there's another message down at the bottom. And it's just, it is the same way with injuries. If we, just, if we don't deal with the root issue, that's why there's not too many. I promise you, I've been doing this a long time. Nobody has more than four or five root issues and they just repeat, repeat. They're on repeat all the time because the enemy just goes, he doesn't have to do anything. I just see the enemy, he's sitting back in his lazy boy and he just has his finger over and he just keeps touching you in that same place and he's watching TV, drinking beer. He don't really care. He doesn't really care. He just keeps, he just, oh, Oh, you're feeling good. Okay, I'll have that sister call you. Oh, oh, you're feeling good. Oh, you'll find out some bad news. Oh, you're feeling good. Oh, you're going to have some physical thing. Oh, you're feeling good. Oh, you haven't felt good for a few weeks. Whatever your area of calling is, he just pokes on it. Just a moment, you have a little momentum. He's kicked back watching ESPN. He does not care. Right? 
And so be thinking about that this week. Um, anyway, Mendel's going to come and close out with an amazing word, even though I know she doesn't feel super hot. Come on. Thank you, Tisa. It's a great word, right? Did you catch that all of this was about life? Like, this was your life framed for you right now. Sometimes we forget and we think that this is like a side thing, you know, like in our spare time we're being equipped. In our spare time we're doing this thing, but this is actually life that's happening. So equipping, um, who loves the word, the sound of equipping, your first reaction to equipping? You love it, right? And Tisa did this earlier and she already told you the correct answer, but go with your honest gut feeling. When you initially get triggered, do you like it? No. We tend to not, right? We're more excited about equipping than we are triggering, right? Is that safe to say? Simply put, but if you caught what she was saying today, they're kind of often one in the same. They're one in the same. So when you hear the word promised land, who gets excited about that? And when you hear wilderness, who gets excited about that? Right? We have these connotations, these ways that we see them. Well, the Holy Spirit reminded me yesterday of a word that I wrote back in uh, March, and I didn't know what Tisa was going to teach on or preach on today, but it goes right along with it. So I want to share that with you. But um, before I do, I want to read in Revelation 12 to get to this one particular verse that sparked this um, encounter that I had on this particular day in March. So it's Revelation 12. Um, in the Passion Translation, they gave it the title, The Woman Clothed, Clothed with the Sun. Now, you know there's tons of metaphors in Revelation. You don't have to try to understand all that in this teaching, okay? In this, what I'm just, just follow along, kind of go with what it, Sounds like on the surface, okay? So then an astonishing miracle sign appeared in heaven. I saw a woman clothed with the brilliance of the sun, and the moon was under her feet. Remember, this was part of our One Life crest. Is that what we called it, a crest? Seal, our One Life seal, Revelation 12. So again, just talking about us here. I saw a woman clothed with the brilliance of the sun, and the moon was under her feet. She was wearing on her head a victor's crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in labor pains in the agony of giving birth. Consider this. Another astonishing miracle sign appeared in heaven. I saw a huge fiery red dragon when, with 10 horns and seven heads, each wearing a royal crown. He was wearing seven royal crowns. The dragon's massive tail swept across the sky and dragged away a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon crouched before the woman who was about to give birth, poised to devour the baby the moment it was born. Life. This is life. Okay, just saying. Just, just connect it with life. This is life. This is the life we're living. Okay. She gave birth to a man-child who is about to rule and shepherd every nation with an iron scepter, and her son was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where God had already prepared a safe place for her, and there they nourished her for 1,260 days. Okay, she fled 
to the wilderness where God had already prepared a safe place for her, where she was then nourished. So instead of this association with the wilderness being, you know, those 40 years wandering around in the desert where we're just immature and we can't seem to get it right, we're not even going to get to cross in the promised land. Instead of that association, think about this. She fled to the wilderness. God prepared a safe place for her there, and she was nourished there. Life. So with that in mind, let me read this word that was titled Wilderness of Safety. I said, Papa, come and take these restraints, these self-imposed barriers to your way. Forgive me. I did not know what I was building when I put them in place. Let your glory flow. Let your glory flow in freedom in this place. Come and rush like a wind across these plains. Come and flood me once again with your love. Let no barrier, no walls or borders I've made restrict your flow. Come and enjoy the freedom you are owed. Flow, flow, flow. I release the tension of my hold. I exchange it today for the grasp of grace. May grace be the strength that holds all things in their place. May grace be the glue that holds my view, my thoughts, my emotions to all of your promises and truths. I cling to you, my vital necessity, but not out of my own strength. Even this is something you gave. Even this you secured fully, thoroughly, in every way, connecting me forever to you. Grace be my grasp. Grace be my hold. Grace, grace, grace. Papa, I surrender my own strength. I surrender. I release the tension of holding myself in place. I release the tight places into a new trust today. I surrender. I lay down my own strength and I fall fully into trust today. Renew my mind. Renew my thinking, my way of operating to this decision today. Renew me to walk fully in the gifts you gave. So I pray that that was your experience today. And those are the words that line up with your heart today. That was my cry to him and my prayer to him that day. And from that place, I wrote this poem or story. I'm not sure what you want to call it. But here, the wilderness framed in this light, okay? I wrote, I came as an orphan with a mindset that didn't know, that couldn't grasp the concept of being so fully loved. I held on to you, held my hands out to receive all you gave when I entered your kingdom that day. I was grateful, so grateful, overcome with the extravagance on display, overcome with the depths, the heights, the breadth of your heavenly landscape. You said it was mine. You said I could take all I needed Drink and never be thirsty. Receive into fullness. You lavished me with more than I could hold, with more than I could retain in the feeble mindset with which I came. But I had tasted and I had seen and there was no way 
I was going to let these treasures be taken from me. So I tightened my grip. I decided there were muscles that needed to be built. I would give my all to live in this place, to live in the promises and the gifts you gave. No one would overpower me or my grasp again. I would cling tightly to all of your promises, all of your gifts. I made this vow and off I went, determined to live the abundant life, your gift. In your mercy and wisdom, out of the depths of your love, you allowed me to do this, to take off on this run. You allowed me the journey, the experience of this attempt. You saw the flaws and the ways that would surely fail someday, but you were never threatened by the stumbling blocks that you saw in my way. Oh, I can only imagine how many you lifted me over, how many you kept my toe from hitting. What a merciful, understanding, loving Father. You led me still, despite all my rigid rules and ways. You led me still, my strongholds of immaturity, no match for your grace. You steered me when I thought I was leading. You even let me believe I was still choosing these paths, these streets of the journey. I look back amazed at your compassion, at your restraint, what humility you displayed, allowing me to play God while I sang your praise. You have this way, this miraculous way of steering the stubborn to just where they need to be. Despite my thinking I'm in the lead, despite my thinking that all my grips and grasps were actually succeeding, you led me to your wilderness of safety your wilderness of safety, your compassion once again displayed in not allowing me to continue believing that my own strength was making the way. You allowed me to see that they led me not to my destiny, but a wilderness journey, a time spent wandering and wondering why things didn't seem to make sense. Where is the abundance? Where is the overflowing joy and contentment? What happened to that peace that's meant to surpass my reasoning? It seems I keep coming up short on these. I see them, but I can't quite reach them. What has happened to cause this wandering? The questions you'd been waiting for, longing for me to bring and sit at your feet. You made this place for me a wilderness just outside of destiny, just outside of a promised land, but filled with exactly, exactly the safety I'd need. Fire by night, cloud by day, you walked with me every step of the way. Little by little, you showed me the error of my ways, the places where my strengths were failing, flawed in their ability to keep the vow I'd made. How gracious and loving for a father to say, that won't reach the goal you've made. With mercy overflowing each and every day in 
every high and lofty place. You showed me the fractures and fault lines that laid in wait, upholding me always along the way. Slowly, you pulled those rickety self-made structures out of the way. You caught me and held me as I felt them collapse beneath me. My desperate grasping and panicky gasping was met with something I'd never known, a lightness, a cloud perhaps somehow holding me. My flailing limbs were somehow not actually falling. Suspended in some kind of liquid love, I found myself breathing the oxygen of heaven despite the definite impression of drowning. How could this be? How could this sustain me? For a moment, I found myself enjoying it. For a moment, I received its reality as it marked me with a personal history. Then reflex kicked in. Startled, I found my own footing again. I pulled myself upright and determined to find which steps to take to revisit this intriguing, bewildering experience. There's no way I'd refrain from exploring this place. I'd look high and low, retrace my steps, and find which combination worked best. Surely, I could find a reasoning to explain this experience that somehow seemed like a gain. Over and over you took me here, right to the edge, the place I'd fall but find myself floating, submerged in an unexplainable awakening. No pattern or formula explained this journey. It wasn't something I ever saw coming. Soon, though, I began to sense opportunity in the periphery. It was never right ahead of me in my own reasoning or marching, but off to the side, like something burning but not consuming. My agenda eventually began to bend. And then bow with the reverence not of my own making. Now the gifts and promises I'd once tasted and determined to hoard, to hold with my orphan thinking, are suspended without effort all around me. Held in the sea of grace, this liquid love affords me. Now I gasp when its oxygen of heaven somehow escapes me. Now I startle when I find myself standing in my own footing, my own strength and ability now becoming more of an enemy, one I take captive and submit to you daily for training, refining, renewing, and aligning. The wilderness is becoming more and more of a memory, your grace revealing a promised land before me. For such a time as this, I entered your kingdom. For such a time as this, you led me to your wilderness of safety. So, Papa, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we just say thank you for the wilderness of safety. Thank you that you created circumstances in our life that started to tell us something wasn't working right. The payoff wasn't coming the way we thought. 
Thank you for creating those moments. Thank you for bringing people into our lives that said something that just really offended us, <laughs> triggered us. Thank you for the times that you did something that made us feel totally unsafe, even when we thought we'd done everything just right, because it brought us to the place of asking the questions of you that we always needed to. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your liquid love. Thank you for the opportunities to fall, to find that we're submerged in something so much more wonderful, so much worth while every, every trial, every trigger, every moment when we feel confused or lost. I just thank you that you have preordained those moments to be equipping moments for us that you have preordained those moments that cause us to cringe and cause our soul to rise up, to be a moment where we are equipped with supernatural gifting, where things come into alignment and we suddenly know how to operate with the gift that's always been in us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that fathers us in the perfect way. Thank you that your plan is personal for each and every one of us that it's not a formula, it's not something everybody walks out just the same, but you personalize the journey for every single one of us. So we just say thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, our warrior team, the three in one. We just say thank you for where we are today. Thank you for those places in our lives where we feel like we can see the promised land and boy, we've learned so much and we're stepping in in a new power. But thank you also for those places in our lives where we are still smack dab in the middle of our wilderness, smack dab in a place where there's more equipping to be done. There's more healing to be had. There's more freedom for us to taste of. There's more of your love for us to experience, to change us forever. So we just thank you right now for the safety of this moment. Thank you for the safety of the day that we are in personally right now, for this exact position in our journey, for your safety, for your love, for your surrounded grace, this atmosphere of grace that we are submerged in. So we just say thank you with all of our heart, with all of our soul. We say thank you with our soul. Our spirit knows it, and our spirit celebrates and agrees with you, but we say it with our soul. We say it with our soul today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This life is not so unpredictable or scary or weird or threatening or alarming as it may seem sometimes. Thank you that just when we think sometimes all things are all things have been lost, that it's actually a gain right before us. Thank you for your convincing of this. Thank you for fathering us in such a beautiful, beautiful way. So we just say we love you and we say we trust you today. On Father's Day today, we say we trust you, Father. We trust you, Papa. We trust you, Daddy. There's no one like you and there's no one that can make us as safe and feel as loved as you. So we love you and we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.